0: And the
1: Oscar goes to, and the Oscar goes the to, the goes to, Chat.
4: there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it!
3: Invalidate it! Remember
0: that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie!
3: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast.
0: And the Oscar goes to... Nomadland!
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 261 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley. A time of recording is 11.04 a.m. on September 19th, 2021. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Evo Day. Hello! Amanda Spears. Hello. Dan Bear. Good morning. And Josh Parm. Hello, hello. So the Toronto International Film Festival is now officially over after nine days of movie watching, both in person and also at home. Uh, the New York Film Festival press screenings are actually starting up uh, tomorrow, kicking off then uh, officially with the world premiere of The Tragedy of Macbeth on Friday. So we'll be talking a bit about those two festivals. We're also going to be going over the trailers today for The Humans, West Side Story, Nightmare Alley, going to review the polls gonna answer some fan questions but to start things off here as we usually do we like to ask people what they've been watching this week and i know for some of us we've got a lot to get through here so why don't we first start off with eve eve what have you been watching this week
2: so the most recent thing i've watched last night uh closing off tiff i watched uh the quote-unquote christmas film silent night (laughs) which was very interesting. I really appreciated the whole film's uh, originality. I'm not sure the script was as finely tuned as it could have been, but it really felt so prescient and relevant, despite the fact that it was apparently a pre-COVID concept and it was originally filmed in 2019. Um, I'll be very interested to see how that film does uh, actually, like, in At Christmas Time, when more people will probably see it. Um, some other TIFF titles I watched, I watched The Worst Person in the World, which um, I did enjoy. I didn't think I liked it quite as much as I expected to, but I really was incredibly impressed with the lead actress, whose name I believe is Renate Rensve. Is that how you pronounce that?
0: I
3: think that sounds right.
2: Yeah. Uh, that I thought that was a really... It, it, I thought it was a well-done film. I think... Among that and other titles I watched, I think there is something to be said about the fact that I watched all these films at home. And I think had I had an in-person theater experience, I maybe would have enjoyed them a lot more. And I can also say that for *The Power of the Dog*, which I watched, Um, I wrote the review for that for this website, and I'm still trying to figure out my feelings for it. You know, I'm it, it. It's not a film that leaves me that left me with a exact reaction either negative or positive so i'm still really ruminating on it um i would recommend people watch it i'm just not sure at the end of the day it really ended up working for me
3: it's interesting because there seems to be uh, a lot of people out there who feel very similar to you eve but then there's a lot of people who want to see it succeed and they're like trying their best to downplay that reaction like saying mm-hmm. oh like where where did this whole divisive challenging you know like take come from it, it's always been there but i think that there is just this innate desire to want to see jane campion succeed and that is why people are trying to negate uh, these reactions that some people are having, and they're like trying to accentuate, you know, the positives here. And uh, obviously, the TIFF placement, which we'll get into it in a little bit here, I think also uh, kind of helps to squash this idea that the film is not going to work for uh, a major audience or for the academy. It, it remains to be seen. I, I still think it's going to be one of those films this year where. Uh, it's gonna place very well. Critically, everyone's gonna like it for the most part, but as far as it working on a broad level, I'm 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 struggling to see that personally.
2: Or I was gonna say it should be noted that um when when I first when I finished watching the piano for the first time, I thought that was a really good movie, but I did not enjoy it. So I think there might be a disconnect that I have with Campion in general. So that should be that should be factored in.
3: Yeah. All right, Amanda Spears, kicking it over to you next.
5: I did see Respect, which is only slightly better than the Aretha Franklin Genius Limited Series, and I only say it was slightly better because it wasn't eight to ten hours. It, it was just such a mess. It baffles me that no one can find a way to make a movie about a movie or a limited series about this person, about Aretha Franklin, and and frankly. I would give them both a draw as far as Erivo versus Hudson in, in both of these. Her childhood seems a far more interesting than her adulthood, but uh, Courtney B. Vance was better than Forrest Whitaker, but I don't think we're going to see a J-Hud nomination anytime soon for this.
3: Yeah, that's something that I feel like is definitely a narrative that I'm not ready to dismiss it quite yet, but... It's clear that as the Best Actress race starts to fill up with more and more contenders, she's looking more vulnerable because of the early release of her, of her film, and also because it wasn't as widely embraced as I'm sure a lot of um, a lot a lot of people involved in the uh, campaign for that film were hoping for.
5: Yeah, the whole film just fell kind of flat; like it just was all over the place.
4: All right, Josh Parham, what else you got for us? Yeah, I did manage to catch a few things throughout the week. Um, obviously, I saw The Eyes of Tammy Faye. There is a podcast review of it that you can listen to. I'm pretty mixed on it myself, leaning slightly positive, mostly just because of Chastain. But I don't think that the storytelling in that movie works for me overall. I had issues with it. But if you need to see it, see it for her, because she is actually very, very good at the film. Uh I also saw Blue Bayou. I caught up with that film. Oh, boy. Oh, man, I really did like it. And I'm sorry to say that because I don't like picking on these small movies because, you know, there's such a labor of love. But, oh, man, I, I thought that it was so melodramatic and kind of predictable in where it was going and so over the top in its melodrama, too, which it didn't really earn ever. And I'll give that Justin Chan and Alicia Vikander give good performances in it. But the story around them, I just thought was like really badly told. And uh, it kind of broke my heart not to like that one. I really wanted to. But I think it's actually like a legit bad movie, unfortunately. Yeah, I
3: agree with you on that. I found it to be melodramatic to the point of just eye rolling. And then the uh, the ending really, really didn't work for me because it didn't feel like the movie knew how it wanted to end. And it kept on faking us out with, oh, this is what's going to ultimately happen. Nope. Sorry. Nope. We're, we're changing our minds and we're doing this instead. And it must have done that like four times in the last 20 minutes to the point that at a certain like I just threw my hands up and I was like, I'm so done with this. I I, I don't care. It's over for me. I thought some of the acting at times outside of uh, Justin Chan and uh, Alicia Vikander. Like I thought they were good, but everyone else I was really not on board with. Oh,
4: Emery Cohen! Oh my god! Ooh, yeah, Maybe it was the worst performance he's ever
6: given. <laughs> well, that's saying something. I I know Dan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it was it was bad. A combination of bad writing and yeah, the performance was just nah. I mean, Mark O'Brien fares a little bit better, but still, they're hampered by really, really bad writing.
4: Yeah, yeah. I I would not say that the supporting performances in this movie are are that great. Like I said, the two leads, I did like them, but they are nowhere near enough to save the other uh, deficiencies of this film, which is unfortunate because I think it had potential, but uh, very badly executed. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to mention is I caught up with the new documentary, The Alpinist. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. It, it's funny because I was just talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. Uh, it feels like every climbing doc now that gets released is going to be compared to Free Solo in one shape, form, or another. So I'm curious to know what you thought of this one, Josh, and how it like held up in regards to that comparison.
4: Oh well, it definitely I think sort of invites those comparisons a little bit considering that they interview Alex Honnold and I even like make reference to Free Solo in, in a way, so yeah. It it definitely I think has that expectation onto it in some ways though it's sort of like the opposite of Free Solo just not only in the ways that we see this guy who seems to be a lot more humble than Alex Honnold is and so so that was interesting. I do think it gets a little repetitive after a certain point. Like, you know, the benefit of free solo was that you really only had like one thing that he was doing, just one objective to climb this mountain. And that's not really the goal here. This is just following this guy around. And I think because of that, the pacing kind of dragged a little bit for me. Um, but overall, I thought it was, it was still interesting to watch. And a very dramatic ending that I was not aware of, so that was also something that was sort of more interesting about it. But like, I would recommend it. If you liked Free Solo, I can imagine that you would like this too.
3: Cool, that's good to hear. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I'll have to uh, check it out at some point. Dan Bear, <laughs> I'm still reeling uh, from the amount of the amount of stuff that I watched this week. But I mean. You, sir, you you must be exhausted because you were there in person in Toronto, came back and then continued to watch content via the digital platform.
6: (laughs) I did indeed. And (laughs) I ended up watching when all was said and done. I ended up watching, I think, more or less the same that I watched last year when I was at home, which it's interesting because when I was in Toronto, it felt like I was not watching quite as many movies a day as I had even the last time that I was at Toronto in 2019. Um, but when all was said and done, I ended up watching more than I had watched in 2019 and about the same that i had watched last year when I was at home watching movies all day.
3: (laughs) I, uh, I, God, I personally set a new record for myself. I'm not going to say what the number is because (laughs) I just don't want to be labeled. Now I want to know. <laughs> but I did I did set a new record for myself in terms of how many films I watched during a festival. These these digital festivals are They're a blessing and a curse. <laughs> they're, they're like addicting. Yeah. It's like I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I should be eating or sleeping or something. But <laughs> oh, just one more. You know, I'm like, a, I'm like Andrew Garfield in Hacksaw Ridge. Help me get one more. <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah, it and there were so many things that I didn't get to see that I heard good things about. And it's like, well, I, I, hope they, I hope they get released somewhere somehow so that I can.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always the thing about these festivals is that no matter how much you attempt to watch or get a chance to watch, there's still something that always falls through the cracks one way or another. There's just, just no escaping it. Yeah, so I know that I you know, we could be here all day talking about everything (laughs) that we liked, obviously. So why don't we do? Why don't we do this? Why don't you maybe list off like a top list, if you will, uh, five, 10, whatever you want to do here? Mm
6: my favorite thing that I saw during the festival was actually one that I saw when I got home on the digital platform. It was the midnight madness selection saloon. Holy shit. Yes. I had so <laughs> much fun with this. Um, African movie. I, I wanted to call it like a, an Afro mystical Tarantino thing because oh. it, the beginning has such this energy, and we're following this um, these mercenaries um, trying to find this uh, or transport a drug dealer and lots of blocks of gold out of uh, their nation to another one. And they get stranded in a desert region called Saloom that is very mystical and the land is protected by spirits, but the, it withholds certain information so well that it just kept surprising me over and over and over again. And it was so much fun. It feels like it's like three movies in
3: one, but it's one of those rare movies where despite that, it somehow still is able to take all of those different uh, tones and genres and have them blend into each other so well still. Yeah. Um, I was very, very surprised with the natural progression of the storytelling in this and the third act is crazy and surprisingly a <laughs> very meaningful message yes. beneath all of it as well that i was not expecting yeah that was the that was the midnight madness film that i felt like i had been waiting for other than to tame. uh but <laughs> that yeah saloon saloon was one that i was like okay i, I, I like it i like i can't recommend it to necessarily everyone because you know yeah. it is uh foreign dense kind of film, but at the same time uh, for anyone here, that obviously loves movies. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you do, you should definitely check that one out.
6: Absolutely. Like seek it out, write it down on your list, add it to your watch list on letterbox. Like this is, this is one that is very memorable and you're going to have a blast watching it. Um, So that was my favorite movie that I saw. The best movie that I saw was, I think the worst person in the world. Oh, God, I want to see this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as Eve said, the lead actress, uh, Renata Rensfi, is incredible. Um, the movie, it really, the style of it, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but the director, uh, Joachim Trier, uh, he has this style in this movie that is like almost ra- magical realism, but not quite. It's more grounded than that in it in that it kind of like follows this character who is searching for who she is and what she wants to do with her life um sort of follows her on these flights of fancy that feel completely apart from the movie but also uh perfectly uh within the world of the movie it's very strange i don't know how to describe it but it's a real movie movie even though it's just a relationship drama um someone who saw it i heard uh, say that it was the relationship drama for people who don't like relationship dramas and that is i think one thousand percent true the way that it is in tune to the modern world and how difficult it is to move through that because there are so many options for us at every corner, um, is really unique. And it really spoke to me, uh, as much as I loved Renaud rensvi the, um, the man who plays her longtime boyfriend, Dan- um, Anders Danielson Lee is incredible. The last act, he gets a few monologues that where he's basically just like spouting the Um, the thesis of the movie, but he does it so, so well. And I thought actually he was the best performance maybe in the movie,
3: even better than her. He's also got a supporting role in uh, Bergman Island as well this year.
6: So he's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah. And he's a doctor. Okay. (laughs) Just living the best life out of all of us. (laughs) Like, forget it. But that was that was, I think, the best movie I saw. The reception from Khan was totally deserved. Um, Neon has it, so look out for it when it's released. Um, I also saw and really loved Flea. Yay! Which I know people have been talking about since Sundance. And, uh, yeah, uh, there there is nothing I have to add to that conversation. I feel like everything great about it has already been said. Um But yeah, this is a real contender this year.
3: Yeah, I'm so excited that more people got a chance to watch it. I was a little nervous when it played at Telluride that it seemed like nobody was watching it. But that was not the case with TIFF this time around, both uh, in person and through the digital screenings. There were more reactions, more people saying uh, what a great film it is. And uh, as I've been saying since January, International Animated Documentary Feature Contender. And if it can be a contender in all three of those, I don't see why we should be holding it back from Best Picture. So... With that said, I'm very, very happy that you finally got a chance to see it, Dan.
6: Yeah, me too. And like, I it's really strange because like for the first like three quarters of it, I was in the respect but not quite love camp, and then the last act took it to a whole other level and really sealed the deal for me. I think it's just great. Um, another big surprise for me was Ali and Ava uh, from Cleo Bernard that played the Kinsanic Cannes. Um, I am a huge sucker for romances about broken people coming together for a relationship that may or may not last, but they do it anyway, and this was a really, really beautiful version of that story. Um, The the performers, the two leads, um, Claire Rushbrook and Adil Akhtar, are fantastic, and the movie has a real great sort of... A British kitchen sink realism style that I really loved, and it it touched my heart. It made me cry, made me gasp, put my hands to my mouth. I I loved it. Recommend for those who actually do love romances. The first movie that I saw at Toronto this year was *Memoria*, the Apichatpan Wiras Thekul movie with Tilda Swinton, and that blew my freaking mind. <laughs> Um, a hero, incredible, uh, Belfast, which won the audience award. <laughs> I still get like teary eyed thinking about it. it. It touched my heart, made me just go out of there loving life and loving movies and loving cinema and loving Kenneth Brana and Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balf and Judy Dench and the whole cast. And yeah, I am not surprised at all that it won the audience award. It's beautiful the humans mm. we're gonna talk about this more in a bit but this one really surprised me and i saw the play on broadway and thought it was great this movie what stephen Karam, who wrote the play and then adapted it for the screen and directed it um what he does with it completely shocked me and of course the acting is fantastic this is the best amy schumer has ever been Richard Jenkins is fantastic. Beanie Feldstein, Stephen, Yeun, they're all great. You really feel this family unit. But what he does with the style of shooting and with the sound work especially, holy, (laughs) blew my mind. That is, however that movie comes out, which is now a little weird because of the trailer, um, See it. This is like can't miss cinema. It is so different than I was expecting. He takes real chances with how he shoots it, and I it is something that I totally admire and respect, and also loved in the end. Um, and rounding out my top ten would be Terrence Davies' Benediction uh, with Jack Lowden and um, Peter Capaldi. Josh Parm is shaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> It, if you liked his, Terence Davies' last film, A Quiet Passion, this is a perfect companion piece to that. It is another movie about a poet that somehow manages to capture uh, the world that they lived in, as well as the tone of their poetry, in really beautiful, sometimes counterintuitive ways. It is very much this sort of stately British prestige picture biopic but there are some things in it that are really kind of artful and surreal and in a way that I was not expecting. And the screenplay also has some really incredible dialogue. Uh, these early 20th century gay Brits were just, they were, they were some catty bitches (laughs) and the dialogue is just delicious in those sections. Um, highly recommend uh even better than i was expecting
3: uh all right and then for myself uh you know obviously if anyone's been following me on social media they see that i'm uh you know giving my thoughts on pretty much everything that i see across the board and because it's so much content i can't possibly you know recap all of it for everyone here but there are uh some recommendations that i would like to throw out to uh you all uh one is uh the film that uh, eve mentioned earlier silent night um i feel like if this uh if Melancholia was a British mm-hmm. uh, Christmas movie, this is what it would sort of look like. <laughs> it is incredibly bleak and depressing. OK, um, it's a dark comedy. Roman Griffin Davis, though, like just proves that Jojo Rabbit was not a fluke. And he's incredible in this. He is so, really great. So good. And there's a new Michael Buble song uh, that (laughs) is being released, I think, like in two months, part of his like deluxe uh, Christmas album that's getting re-released. And it's a banger.
6: It slaps so hard and it's amazing. (laughs) It's going to be a new Christmas classic, like guaranteed.
3: A couple other things here, too. I do want to sing the praises of... um, Oh, my Lord, what the heck was it called again? Yes, got it. Seven Prisoners, uh, which is a film that's being released by Netflix. Hopefully will be Brazil's uh, submission for international feature. Uh, this was a movie that took place in uh, present day uh, Sao Paulo and was about exploitive uh, labor. Uh, the performances from Christian uh, Malheros and Rodrigo Santoro were Awesome. And this was like a really, really disturbing but engaging thriller. Very thought provoking, some very intense direction. I think it will definitely leave an impression on people uh, when they see it for sure. Uh, and then Another film I just want to call attention to, even though I saw it at Telluride, it did play again at TIFF. I do want to draw attention to The Rescue from Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai, uh, the filmmakers who did Free Solo. I think this is better than Free Solo, in my opinion, and Nat Geo is already getting the campaign rolling for this as far as its awards uh, traction goes. Obviously, the documentary race every year is very, very complicated, and it's one where there are so many contenders that clearly there will be films that will make it and some that will not. This was one, however, where I feel personally that it should be in there. I think it's a really incredible story for anyone that was ever following it uh, when it was happening in real time. And the way that it's filmed and uh, shown here is, uh, I just feel like, really a really, really exceedingly great experience. One that plays well in the theater, plays well at home. Um, but then, as far as like new movies are concerned, like things that like came out uh, this week, I-, I did see Cry Macho, which we will have a podcast review of uh, in Oy. two days time. <laughs> uh I'll just say this: I I give Clint a lot of credit for ninety one years old and still going. I, I got to give him I got to give him credit for that. Does that mean that the work is great? It all depends on who you ask. <laughs> But I commend him for still working into his 90s. And then the other film uh, that was a surprise to me was a film called Cop Shop, which got released with very little uh, marketing and publicity. I found this film out secondhand from somebody else. I didn't even know anything about it, Uh, but the reviews I read for it were pretty positive. So I was like, okay, I'll check this one out. Uh, Gerard Butler basically plays a hitman looking to, uh, take out Frank Grillo, who's playing, like, a con man, and, uh, Frank Grillo puts himself, like, in a prison cell, and, uh, Gerard Butler does the same thing, and he's, like, biding his time, even though they're in separate cells in this police headquarters, he's, like, waiting until he gets the chance to get to him, and then, uh, Alexis Louder is, like, this rookie cop who gets, like, caught up in the middle of this hit. It's wild. It's got some great action. It's very pulpy. You know, it's not like a quote unquote great movie, but just as far as sheer entertainment goes, I thought that uh, Joe Carnahan, uh, you know, delivered the goods here. And he's he's done some, you know, decent entertaining action films before. So I guess that shouldn't have been uh, a surprise. But uh, yeah, that was that was that was definitely a bit of fun and a nice break from all of the tiff watching.
6: Oh, so that's the one that. Um Grillo went a little nuts so about on yes. social media then uh,
3: okay. mm-hmm. that's the one and yes he isn't really that great in the movie so <laughs> i mean yeah there's that uh and just fyi for the record for those that are wondering uh, yes we are currently on uh day number i lost count of uh not seeing dune so um <laughs> i just want to let you know in terms of my dune watch update uh still not there yet but nyff is coming I I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm I'm sure I will see it pretty soon. <laughs> oh oh oh! Wait wait wait! And I I forgot. I gotta mention this. I'm sorry. I have to mention this. Tatane. Oh, oh.
2: My, Tatane is my wait. dune. <laughs> oh.
3: I'm 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 gonna see it again this week because it was that good. I I'm actually very much looking forward to nyff this week because tom o'brien uh yeah. decided to travel to new york uh we're gonna dan and i are gonna meet him in person for the first time so exciting yep lucky and i'm gonna sit between the two of them and grab both of their hands while we watch tatane <laughs> and uh i hope to feel them both squirm uh while we watch it together it's gonna <laughs> be beautiful
2: can i uh shout out one film that i forgot to mention sure during my little segment i can't believe i forgot to mention uh Celine Siyama's Petit Maman. It was Oh yeah. Just mm-hmm. I just I don't wanna over overdo anything. I just wanna say seventy two minutes, wonderful, fantastic. Just exactly what it's supposed to be. She understands the assignment. That's all.
6: Yeah, I love that at Berlin earlier this year. And I'm so glad that more people got to see it and love it just as much as I did.
3: I mean, there's like been a reoccurring theme, I feel like, on the film festival circuit this year in regards to Neon and their slate in general. Um, I, I mean, like I, I just noticed this the other day after I saw Tatane. Um, Neon is currently occupying, for me, the top three films in my top ten of the year so far, which is unbelievable. But also beyond that, they've got films like The Worst Person in the World, Memoria, Petite Maman. And then uh, they also have um, even the Closing Night film from TIFF, uh, yeah. Zhang Z- Yimou's uh, One Second.
6: Which, release the Zhang Yimou cut, please. I know, yeah. The, see,
3: like that's very that's very interesting because it's it's a flawed movie, but it's not his fault that it's flawed. And that's the thing about it that I find to be so fascinating is that the movie itself is almost acting like this act of defiance against the Chinese government because the film is very much about propaganda, censorship during the Cultural Revolution uh, in China and how like that is kind of playing out in real life today, the way that his film was censored by the Chinese government. I I just find that meta quality to be so extremely fascinating. And even though the film doesn't work as a whole, um, that's like kind of the beauty of it at the same time. (laughs) So, yeah, it's very that was a very, very interesting way to close out uh, the Toronto International Film Festival for sure. And I'm just glad that the film is seeing the light of day, even if it's not his full
6: director's cut. Oh, 100% agreed. And it, it was so emblematic of this very strange, very flawed, but full of good
4: movies. Tiff this year, it was a perfect closing movie. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two P's on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald and I am from Two Ps on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment. And we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www2 psonapodcom I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun.
3: See you soon. All right. Well, uh, the next point of discussion still kind of continuing on with Tiff here. We got to talk about the audience award winner. You know, we usually look towards this every year as, you know, a a sign, an indicator, an early, uh, you know, uh, I guess an early precursor, if you will, to what could be either a Best Picture nominee or even winner in some cases. Um, You know, the last couple of years, we've seen Nomadland, uh, Green Book, uh, 12 Years a Slave, I think was the last one in 2013, King's Speech 2010, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Over these last couple of years, where the Toronto Audience Award is usually an indicator for success with the Oscars. And this year, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast won the award. Uh, The first runner-up was uh, a little film that played called Scarborough, which I'm very, very sad uh, to say. I uh, started it, unfortunately fell asleep. Uh, It was the last movie I was watching past midnight one night, and I didn't get a chance to finish it. So I I can't comment on it. But, you know, very much looking forward to uh, catching up with it at some point and finishing it off. Uh, But as mentioned earlier, The Power of the Dog, second runner up, Jane Campion's film You know, after now winning prizes over at Venice and now coming over here, uh, this must be making Netflix feel very, very happy that the film is being embraced uh, to this extent.
6: Uh, Is it?
3: Well, I mean, think about it this way. (laughs) I I understand. I I I get it, Dan. But even you have to admit the fact that there was an in-person component this year compared compared to last year where it felt like there was Nomadland and literally nothing else. Like Nomad Land was just like on an island of its own. Yeah. Like there was there was some intense competition this
6: year. There was, but I'm just saying, like, with that intense competition also means that they had to open up the voting to, you know. Anyone, especially anyone in Canada, and the power of the dog has a very beloved, very heavy stan fan base. I could say the same thing about Belfast though. Not nearly as large.
3: Oh, I disagree completely. I think Belfast is bigger.
6: I then you were not around for the early days of the Cumber Bitches. Those bitches are I fierce. was
0: on the and bell- they are-
6: Legion. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't they also have? Because um, I remember this
3: conversation came up around the time of a star is born uh, in 2018. It don't doesn't Tiff have a blocking system in place that uh, does not allow your IP address to vote more than once?
6: Yes, but you can still vote once. <sighs> I don't know. I I I hear what it's you're saying, But and it's like the thing is that like we don't know. Yeah, like we don't know if that was a factor or not. I. Based on the conversations that I was having with people in Toronto, I was a bit surprised that Power of the Dog made a showing for um, in the Audience Award. Not because people didn't like it, but because there were other movies that people seemed more passionate about in a sort of Audience Award winning way.
3: But as I've mentioned before about Power of the Dog, like to me, this is the kind of movie that places on critics' top 10 list, might win a couple of critics' Best Picture prizes throughout the season. But when we get to larger numbers of people voting, large voting groups, that's where I think it might struggle because I do think it's one of those films that uh, people admire and respect it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if they necessarily... Uh, will love it the same way that they'll love a crowd pleaser like a Belfast or a King Richard.
6: Yeah, and I mean, and that was definitely my reaction to it. I found that there was just a lot to think about with this movie. I want to see it again because it definitely felt like knowing what to expect, I think that I would have a different idea of how good I thought the movie is. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested to see how the season responds to it from an awards perspective.
3: (laughs) Well, moving from uh, Power of the Dog to Belfast now, uh, after its premiere at Tell You Ride, which has been the home other than to Green Book, to Best Picture winners, uh, going all the way back to uh, The King's Speech in 2010, uh, the narrative for Kenneth Branagh, just, you know, his longevity in the industry, how well incredibly liked he is. And then, you know, you've got these uh, fervent, fan bases for uh, the stars of the film shot in black and white. this very personal story. It's a crowd pleaser. It's uplifting. And now the audience award at Toronto. I mean, we got us. We got to call it. We got to call it like it is. Belfast is now currently the early front runner for best picture at the moment.
6: Yeah. It feels very much like a placeholder. And like, I, as much as I loved it, I don't think that I see it winning best picture. <laughs> But of the things that have premiered so far, it makes the most sense.
4: Yeah, what it kind of sounds like to me at this point is it may not be anybody's or like a lot of people's number one of the year, but it does seem like a consensus pick. And Mm. if we get into a situation where the camps are kind of divided, which at this point it kind of seems like we are, and there's not like the quote unquote better movies out there really don't amass enough support to put themselves over the edge, especially on a preferential ballot. It seems like Belfast is kind of perfect for it.
5: Yeah. It's hard to be the front runner this early, but films have been able to hold on. Oh yeah. It's not unheard of. So while it seems like a placeholder that can always be very deceptive. Yeah. It certainly doesn't seem like the kind of winner that would
2: make anyone angry about it, much like green book and (laughs) Uh, I know Three Billboards didn't win Best Picture, but just like its popularity. People wouldn't be mad about Belfast winning. I don't think, but who knows? I,
3: I don't think people would be offended by Belfast, but I think that people would look at it and think to themselves that it was a, quote-unquote, lighter-slash-lesser film to win. like Because, as mentioned earlier, this whole idea of it being like a consensus movie – it doesn't ring as a quote-unquote important film, or even uh, something like uh, a parasite, where it's just so far and above and beyond the others in terms of overall quality that it's like the anointed one. But it it, it is just kind of nestling in very comfortably right now as that uh, general accept, generally accepted like crowd pleaser, which you know definitely there is some power behind that for sure. But at the same time, I have a feeling that something else could come around a little later, maybe in November, December Mm -hmm. that could supplant it. It just in terms of sheer. Oh my, like, I don't know if anything's going to come out. that's going to get like raves of, of like, Oh my God, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen sort of thing. But there could be another generally accepted film to come along later to supplant it.
6: Yeah, it is definitely something that I don't think a lot of people, I think where it will get the, negative reactions is that it seems like a very Academy Awards baity type of film and a lot of people tend to get tend to bristle at those types of movies but it, it's very hard not to feel warmly towards it I think
3: I mean I'm still trying to figure out why it's shot in black and white because
0: because it's a
6: memory it's the
2: 60s
3: <laughs> yeah but films and television and such they, they were in color by that no, point I
2: know, I know. Because <laughs> it's it's a memory, I suppose.
3: I get that. I'm just saying that like to your point though, Dan, it does feel like it is checking off certain boxes as a way to be that be that awards front runner. Um, even if that's not the case and it really is sincere and coming from Kenneth Brana's heart, which I think is true. But and I know that people hate this comparison and I know that like it it it's a very, very Don't flimsy one. Do it. No, so- no, 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 <laughs> All I'm going to say, this is all I'm going to say in regards to it is for those that are making the comparisons to Roma, to me, it's a night and day difference. Roma is a better movie than Belfast. So I don't even know, like other than them both being shot in black and white and being these memory pieces in a way like they're very different movies stylistically, even when you, when you see them like Belfast has the feeling of a studio movie that just so happened to be shot
6: in digital black and white. Yeah. And the thing is that they're not just different. on that way. They're very different thematically too. They are about very different things. And because of that, their style is different and reflects that. Um, I, I hate this comparison because when you say it's, It's like Roma, it sort of gives people the impression that Belfast is going to be something that it is definitely not. Correct. Yeah. And this is a big, open-hearted, crowd-pleasing movie. Roma, as beautifully made as it is, it is an art piece. (laughs)
0: Right.
6: Um, It is not... They, they could not be further apart in terms of their uh, themes and how they go about exploring them. I think they are both equally good at doing the things they set out to do. But those things are very different and how they go about them are very different.
3: Let's also uh, pivot over here really quick with the other audience award winners from TIFF. Uh, so the Midnight Madness Award went to Julia Ducournau's. Titane, so now it has won the Palme d'Or and the Audience Award over at TIFF. Granted, Midnight Madness, not as many films, and clearly the best (laughs) amongst all of the films in that uh, competition (laughs) that I saw.
2: Submit it for France. You better submit it, you cowards.
3: I I, Well, here. Okay, so Eve, Eve, I I got a question for you. Question. Okay. You're France. I'm France. Are you picking Petite Maman or (laughs) Titane?
2: Oh, je sais pas, oh no. (laughs)
3: See? See? I
2: like, I absolutely, I just talked about how much I love Petit Maman. I, I can't see that being submitted, unfortunately. Um, I just think a film that that is that literally and figuratively that like kind of diminutive can't, it would not succeed. Um, just go all out just send t10 like why not all i'm <laughs> gonna say
3: not? is that what tatane is reminding me of in terms of the international feature category it's reminding me a lot of yorgos Lanthimos' Dogtooth,
6: which mm. was selected
3: right
2: it did that it didn't win though it no didn't win, but it got a
6: nomination
3: and i remember when it got the nomination a bunch of us were like i can't believe that this even happened <laughs> Because we never in our wildest dreams thought that the content of that movie would appeal to Academy voters.
5: Mm-hmm. France has had bad pickers as of late when it's come to their submissions.
3: Well, usually because they have so many to choose from. Yeah. Well, they
5: do, but like, in what world do you not submit La Vie en Rose? You know, sometimes they just, they make these very baffling decisions.
6: I think recently they've been on a, they the selections they've made, especially recently, have been more about what the, um, going to i hate saying this but the quote-unquote old academy would love and that has hurt them i think in choosing their winners like choosing les miserables over portrait of a lady on fire yes. it, that was very much like well that was there were lots of other things going on there too honestly <laughs> but <laughs> but wow. the thing is like after a parasite go with tatan
2: yeah. Do and like, <laughs> I know of ultimately the, uh, the goal is, is to win, but wouldn't it just be like so cool to just have such a lasting impression on the, on that category in general? People will be like, yeah, I'm not gonna, this isn't gonna win. I'm not gonna vote for France in this category, but whew, that was, that was quite the film.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm hoping for, and if I can't get that, I am all in on pushing Julia as uh, you know, a best director uh, possibility this year as far as the international uh, director choice might go. But I also recognize that this is all probably uh, foolish thinking on my part, and this is a very... Exceedingly challenging movie for people to watch, and I, I do not recommend it to people with weak stomachs. And yeah, I mean, the hurdles that it will have to climb over are massive. So get getting back to reality, uh, the People's Choice Award for Documentary went to the rescue. As we uh, mentioned earlier, which um, definitely puts it also in a very, very good position.
4: Or does it? I don't know. It's the documentary branch. What is a good position? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know
3: what? It's funny you mentioned that, Josh, because yes, you're right. It seems that every time we have an early frontrunner for documentary or film starts winning all the documentary feature uh, critics' prizes, that's the one that then gets snubbed <laughs> by the yeah, Academy. So I
4: don't know. Like, I don't... Is it good news for this movie to be the frontrunner or not?
3: It's the documentary. <laughs> (laughs) Remember uh, Dick Johnson is dead last year? Remember Boys State? They didn't make it. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I'm very excited for this to watch this film. I think given how kind of recent the subject matter is and how it was such an international event that it's focusing on, I do think it'll keep up the momentum that it currently has.
3: Also, too, Nat Geo. I mean, they muscled the cave into a nomination. (laughs) Like they 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 really are pushing uh, they're actually pushing, I think like five films this year, but this is their number one priority. This is their baby. This yeah. is the one that they're going to push the hardest, especially because uh, uh, Jimmy and Chai are coming off of uh, free solo, which was also
4: net geo, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. First runner up was Dion Warwick. Don't make me over. And the second runner up was Uh, flea actually, which I was very, very happy to see flea place in the top three, even if it wasn't in the uh, winner slot.
1: The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So five minute news is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.
3: And that's it for the audience awards from
6: Tiff. Matt, do you think that the fact that Fleet didn't place higher is a sign of weakness? Because I was thinking about this. Based on how good it is and based on the reactions that it's been getting, that I was thinking it was a contender for the big prize.
3: I think that Flea's biggest problem is that it needs people to see it.
6: Mm.
4: Well, I think also okay. in terms of a documentary, you know, it plays with that traditional format in ways mm-hmm. that maybe if you're not fully on board with it as like a documentary film you might be a little hesitant to embrace which is why i still have always found that the documentary category to be the hardest one for it to get into so i think that might also be something to take into account that of the three like other categories it's vying for i do think documentary is the one it's going to find the most trouble in
3: all right now Uh, At this point, what I want to do is I want to transition over to a film that premiered at Toronto and got its trailer this week as well. Dan talked about it a little bit earlier. This is from A24 and Showtime didn't see that coming uh <laughs> this is stephen karam's uh, adaptation of his own tony award-winning play the humans so let's take a look at the trailer Altumina. for this one
4: i seeing these ads for that zombie show on tv it's awful so i can't believe scene. people want to watch that kind of stuff at night no uh, there's enough going on in the real world to give me the creeps
5: great
0: thank you Altumina.
5: to the blake family thanksgiving to the very special chinatown
2: edition of the blake family thanksgiving here
6: thank
2: Dad, you won't get any reception up here. You have to lean up against the window. Yeah, but now, Lean in. Smush your body up. A- there you go.
5: So are you balancing a job with all your studies? The main reason I'm not done with school yet is because I was depressed for a bit. I'm
6: fine now. In our family, we don't have that kind of depression.
0: Dad. Oh. Whoa,
1: come back to Earth. Sorry. No, we just have a lot of stoic sadness.
4: Someone cost a hundred bucks a night to hire someone to make sure she doesn't fall Hey, a okay. No, she needs to think before she opens her mouth.
5: Don't you think it should cost less to be alive? <laughs> Absolutely.
3: There's this comic book I was obsessed with as a kid. It's about this species of half alien, half demon creatures and the scary stories that
6: they tell each other. Oh God! are all about us, humans.
1: Um, I, didn't I know you think there's something wrong
3: with me. It's not a new one. She still acts like a martyr I'm trying to
0: apologize.
5: You'll find someone new. You're going to come out of this stronger, I oh, promise. Stop lying to me.
0: Just stop. Don't actually
5: stop. Something I say makes her. Yeah. Who no, she remind you. You. Me.
1: You. It's you, my friend.
2: I love that in times like this, I have a, a home base,
5: a family I can always come home to. To knowing that this is what matters right here. Oh,
6: because everything anyone's got, the matter who you are, everything you have goes. Well, that's a positive way of looking at
0: things. <laughs> <laughs> wow, do that at a funeral day.
6: So this is a far less conventional movie than this trailer makes it out to be.
2: Good.
3: This is what I would expect a studio to sell Mm -hmm. any movie like this as, as a way to get butts in the seats. However, this being an 824 film, and they're not afraid to show their movies for what they actually are. I was a little surprised that they did withhold from some of the elements that the movie does contain within it. Like, Guys, like this is one step away from being a horror movie at times. And I don't feel like that's coming across that much in the trailers here at all.
6: No. And like, I know there's been a whole thing about like, you know, a 24 horror movies that aren't actually scary, but like the, (laughs) the way they completely avoid that is almost hilarious to me because it really is the way it plays with sound and with the shooting style. It's a horror movie, especially the last act, but there's also, like, I feel like they're they're selling it as a very conventional family drama, which means that given how difficult of a movie it actually is, people are going to be even more upset with it, <laughs> and I'm worried.
3: There's something uh, very curious about the release of this, though. They said that it's coming out in November, but they didn't say how, although I do believe, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong here— I think the Showtime and theatrical release is day and date. Uh, I don't know. Let's say that it is. Does that mean that this would be eligible to compete for both Oscars and Emmys? Oh no, God! They
5: changed the rules.
3: Yeah, so it couldn't compete for like television movie next year.
5: No, because it's the same thing with Sylvie's Love. There was some confusion about that because it was released on Amazon, but they decided to submit it for Emmys only.
0: Mm, okay. Instead
5: of trying to go for the Oscars, so. The the Emmys have changed the rules just to mostly because of the documentary categories. If you win the Oscar for Best Documentary now, you're not going to take a victory lap through the Emmys anymore. Right. It would be either or.
3: That's the thing that I'm curious about then in that case is that I'm wondering because I did have preliminary conversations with A24 about this film like a few months ago. And they were still debating at the time in terms of how they wanted to roll it out. And having seen it now, I think that they could I think they could go either way with it. I mean, obviously, I would love to see Richard Jenkins compete in the supporting actor Mm -hmm. category this year at the Oscars. But if they decide to push it, you know, primarily for Emmys next year instead, then I mean, you know,
5: they go. The Emmy route, it's going to be tough because they've seen a lot of movies not really get any attention because they've really turned towards the limited series. So I could see why they might go Oscars if they do have a standout performance.
6: I could see it happening. It's a very, very difficult movie. And it would not surprise me if they decided to go to Emmys, which are, generally speaking, more... They're... They still, I think, like prestige more a little in a weird way than the Oscars do. Like they're more willing to go for weird stuff if it meets the other things that they like, if that makes sense. Uh,
3: Myself, Dan, uh, Zach Gilbert and Sarah Clements uh, were the were the four people at MVP that covered uh, Tiff this year. And we all saw this movie. And I took a survey afterwards of everyone's uh, top 15 uh, films of the festival. And the humans placed actually uh, amongst the four of us as our collective number one. Of the festival given where it ranked on all of our lists so the quality is there love that <laughs> no matter which way they decide to slice it my only concern with it is i do think it does fall maybe a bit into what white people problems the movie at times <laughs> so i could see there being you know an audience out there that just doesn't really relate to these characters doesn't really relate to their problems and so on and so forth Uh, But the acting is good. The writing is strong. And as Dan mentioned earlier, the way that it's shot is also very unique. I do think there will be inevitable and very unfair comparisons to The Father. Uh, But like Roma and Belfast, they're two very, very, very different movies.
4: (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And honestly, I've been hearing from people that it's kind of best to go into this not knowing that much about it and i've kind of been trying to do that myself in fact i almost feel like knowing that there is this aura of like horror to the story is already (laughs) too much for me so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm very intrigued to see it
3: uh and it, it looks it looks interesting I also echo uh, what Dan said earlier. Um, I think this is uh, Amy Schumer's uh, best work that I've ever seen her give. Um, well, that's a low bar. Yeah, but still. Agreed, but to be said.
6: even still, like, I was very impressed.
3: Uh, Jane Hootie Shell is reprising her Tony Award winning role here, and she's very good, expectedly. Uh, but for me, this was really mostly about Richard Jenkins. The film starts and ends with him, uh, and I thought he carried this whole thing. I mean, the whole ensemble is great, but he, he to me was to stand out overall. All right. Next up. Second trailer. I want to talk about Steven Spielberg. I want to talk about his trailer for West Side Story coming out December 10th, written by Tony Kushner. And, you know, you might've heard of this movie called West Side Story. I don't know. One like 10 Oscars or something like that, including <laughs> best picture let's take a look at the trailer for this one give some thoughts tonight,
0: tonight, the world is full of light. this is my first time in New York City I want to be happy here I want to make a life at home tonight,
5: Are you ready? Tonight is about family.
2: The first gringo boy who smiles at you.
0: I never seen you before. You're not Puerto Rican.
5: Is that okay?
4: Do you want to start World War III?
0: him. no one will ever forgive you.
5: Life matters even more than
6: love. Looks pretty. It does, and you can tell that Tony Kushner rewrote it. Can you? Can you tell that? Uh, Yeah, there lines. Everything that Maria says in this trailer almost is not in the book of the musical or in the film.
3: Okay, in yeah. that regard, sure. I, I've just been hearing this. Okay, so like Steven Sondheim recently uh, was on, I think it was Colbert, and he praised the movie and talked about how Tony Kushner like found a way to adapt uh, the songs that was very unique and something, you know, very special, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm hearing this and I'm saying to myself, like, what could this possibly be doing that is so radically different that unless the trailers are hiding stuff from us?
2: I this trailer, I will admit, made me feel more optimistic about this film that I have felt extremely apprehensive about. Um, Same
3: Eve, same.
2: I don't think it'll have the same sort of magic of the Super a Technicolor fantasy film of the 1961 version that I am absolutely in love with. Um my number one gripe and this has been from the beginning before the trailers is just simply the casting of one Ansel Elgort. He is <laughs> first of all too old for this role, especially when he's matched with Rachel Ziegler, is that her that's her that's her name? Yeah, uh, actually, Yeah. Ziegler, she actually looks 17 and he doesn't. He's way too old for her, and he looks so wooden in this trailer. And I just, okay, listeners, I want you to do something. Go on YouTube, look up West Side Story Maria, and watch Richard Batemar perform that song. It is so beautiful. He runs down the street. There's glowing lights and green and pinks behind him and he is feeling the passion in his face and i want you to think of ansel elgort doing that and tell me if you think he has the range because i simply don't think he does well i'll tell you this
3: much (laughs) i don't want to think about ansel elgort period uh given you know everything that's been surrounding him uh from controversial (laughs) standpoint lately and the trailers are doing i think the best to minimize lines of dialogue shots of him even though it's like unavoidable but they have to show him. He's, you know, the second lead of this movie, yeah, for goodness He's Romeo. Yes. <laughs> right. It's casting. <laughs> it's, just, it's
2: just mind-boggling. I, just, I,
3: I, I, I also have just always know. maintained since day one, I just never, I've never thought that he's been a good actor in general. I, I agree, Eve. Like, he looks wooden in this. Like, he's always been wooden to me in everything that I've seen him in. So, yeah. I mean, beyond that, though... Beyond Ansel, like, I'm just also personally against this movie's existence. Me too. Because I believe, and I don't care if you're gone with the wind, I believe that a Best Picture winner, Best Picture nominee, different story, but a Best Picture winner... ...should serve as a time capsule and should never try to be remade. We should be looking back at those and lessons that we can learn from them if they were deemed problematic or whatever it is, and use those as a way to do better with new stories, not try to do do-overs.
2: I'm just so scared that this film is going to have, during the dance scenes, it's going to be so close to the actor. It's going to be close-ups of the actors' faces while they're dancing, and there's going to be so many cuts, so you can't actually see their bodies moving. Uh,
3: I, I, think, I I don't think so based on the shot selection that I'm seeing in this trailer. I do see a lot of wides. I do see a lot of focus on the choreography. Okay. I think Steven Spielberg is more than capable. And that's the thing, too, is that even though I'm against this movie in principle, it's Steven Spielberg. I mean, like, if there's any director in this world that we're going to trust, <laughs> you know?
5: No, but that, that, this is the, I don't get the ego involved in redoing a film that is the most winningest musical of all times (laughs) why Mm. i mean i don't care how many changes or tony winning playwrights he gets to help juice up the dialogue there's no point in doing this it looks too similar to the original
3: i mean if anything you know what it's going to do amanda is for a whole new generation and i was actually having a debate with somebody about this earlier off air It's going to encourage a whole new generation of people that have never seen West Side Story to not watch the original. They'll watch this instead. Yeah, I.
5: Yeah, but there's so many musicals. I get that Steven Spielberg wanted to do a musical, but why this one? Why not pick something that hasn't been done before? Mm. This is it's not going to get him the recognition he wants or. It's not going to get him that third Oscar. For I don't directing. think
3: that's why he's doing it though. Um, I will admit to that, but but
5: why redo this? Why redo? Well,
3: I mean, you know, we all know that the original had problematic uh casting in terms of casting white actors in these roles, and uh, you know, I, I understand maybe from that perspective, and then also too. You know, this country obviously is going through uh, a reckoning in terms of its own uh, racial uh, uh, issues uh, nowadays, and even though, you know, a lot of that was much a much hotter debate last year. It's still something that's continuing. It hasn't gone away. This movie was supposed to come out last year, by the way, obviously, because it got pushed off due to the pandemic. But my point being is that if he wants to make some sort of a social commentary in that regard, like. I get it, but at the same time, once again, regard and like you said, Amanda, regardless of the intention, regardless of who you get on board, regardless of how it looks, I'm just so against it it in 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 principle.
5: Yeah, I don't think he'd like somebody to remake Schindler's list. Exactly. Do anything. Do anything. Exactly. Like seriously, the only reason he was able to get anyone to stop is because they he, he put oh gosh, her name snows in the film. Um, uh, Rita Moreno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only reason they got her to stop criticizing it. But it, it just feels so unnecessary.
6: That's my thing, and like, and I get the casting actual uh, Latinx people. Although, given the response to In the Heights earlier this year, and oh, yeah. knowing that not everyone in this movie is actually Puerto Rican, is gonna that's gonna be a thing now but i i agree i don't see why like why remake this movie or why make another version of the same source material being the original stage musical i don't necessarily understand it i think that it looks good yeah and this trailer did give me more hope than the original teaser that they had released a while back yeah
0: yeah
6: however I just, I find it difficult to get excited. I do. And I wish that I felt differently.
4: (laughs) I do agree with a lot of the points being made. I am kind of struggling to get completely excited because I am thinking, like, what is the point of remaking this movie? when we have a really good original film? And uh, I am worried about that. The one thing that does give me a little hope, though, is... It's been well known that Spielberg definitely has wanted to make a musical for a while. And I am interested to see what that is going to look like, because I do think he is somebody that obviously has a lot of respect and reverence for classic musicals. And I think the way that those films are shot in particular, I think he could be a good person to kind of bring that back. And I so I am interested to see what big, lavish like dance numbers in a Spielberg movie Looks like I'm curious about that and it doesn't really seem like the trailer has really emphasized that it's kind of holding it back. And I hope that's because they're saving it for the movie but yeah i don't know i i am curious about it but i will admit also just sort of looking at the whole picture i do ask myself why do we need this right now
1: hello everyone this is jd from the in session film podcast each week we review the latest from hollywood california
4: well yes brendan
1: we also give top three lists okay yeah thanks again brendan Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series or other interesting film related topics and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not t- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy it. That. That's just how <laughs> it works.
3: All right. Well, we'll go from asking why we need a remake of a film that takes place in New York. To asking us why we need a remake of a Shakespeare adaptation that is going to premiere in New York in a few days time. The 59th annual New York Film Festival is kicking off on September 24th. uh, But press screenings are beginning this week with the tragedy of Macbeth having its world premiere on Friday this week. So before we head into that big premiere, it's the only world premiere happening at NYFF. Uh, Everything else is a holdover from another film festival. And we can certainly talk about films that are playing there that we're excited to get more reactions about. But Tragedy and Macbeth is the one I want to hear most from you all on. So what's everyone's expectations heading into it? Because for me, I think it's going to look amazing. I think the actors are probably going to crush it. I'm excited as all hell that it's less than two hours long. Uh, (laughs) And quite frankly, I am skeptical yet intrigued at the same time as to how a retelling of, you know, Macbeth works in
2: 2021. I have a new particular interest in this film because I just finished reading Macbeth and I had a quite scary moment the other day when I was reading the scene where the main witch Hakate, i think that's how you pronounce that name uh, has like a council with the three weird sisters and as i was reading that scene the loudest thunder and lightning i've ever heard in my entire life just cracked above me and i was like i like hid under my covers and i was like what's happening what's happening but so that that was that was very fun um so i'm a, i love a good shakespeare adaptation uh, i I'm I'm a sucker for them. I love Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Um, I'm honestly the thing that I'm most curious about is to see Denzel and Francis who are American. I'm wondering what the accent work there is because I think famously Shakespeare's words do sound different depending on the accent you have when you're speaking them. So I don't know if anyone knows if they're going to be speaking with Scottish accents, British accents. Does anyone have any insight into that?
5: I do not. I know that uh, no. Denzel can do a British accent. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm excited. I
3: mean, let's remember, uh, Denzel did work with Kenneth Branagh uh, on yeah. uh, Much, Ado Much Ado About to Nothing, do. so... Which is a great movie. Oh, he was yeah. so good. So another couple of things about this. The aspect ratio is going to be, uh, you know, obviously reminiscent towards, um, you know, classic cinema shot entirely in black and white by Bruno Del Delbanel. I- I'm sure this movie is going to look amazing. That's something that I mm-hmm. have like, no doubts about whatsoever. What I'm curious about is... Not even so much the content of Macbeth resonating today and because I, I, I've I been told that Joel Cohen has found a way to have the content, uh you know, work in, in the way that he presented here. I, I've been told that he doesn't rework any of the dialogue. He just simply took stuff out and that's why it's so short. So my my feeling about that is okay. If he took say all the extraneous stuff and left all the exciting stuff in, and the movie just moves at a you know very fast pace throughout, then I think it's going to work. Um, but it, you know, I'm, I I almost don't know what that looks like because the Coen brothers have such a distinctive and singular uh, way of writing dialogue and characters in their movies, even when they have done adaptations of Oh Brother, Wherefore Art Thou or No Country for All Men, Uh, True Grit even, you know? So for this to not be his words and for it to be Shakespeare's words, I... I yeah, it's like it's like a big question mark for me, you know? That's the
6: thing that actually makes me excited about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. We haven't ever had the Cohen Brothers direct someone else's words before, either together or separately. Mm-hmm. And remember this is just the one of them, not both. Right.
5: Um, I love both Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington. So this is like the, the couple I never knew I needed. Like I've been salvating since I heard that these two were going to be in Macbeth, and I'm like, oh my god, my dream casting of Macbeth! I would never have thought of these two.
6: I do love um, that Francis feels very like counterintuitive casting for this part.
5: See, I love the colorblind casting. I also love like you know this has got a deep bench, but Corey Hawkins, who's having a great years in this, Brendan Gleason, I, I really, really, really love this. I will add one fun little fact because i do see that you know Joel Cohen is listed as a screenplay uh, as the screenplay writer no one has ever won an oscar for adapting a shakespearean play no yeah and that and i'm i'm talking like go back to the 1948 best picture winner hamlet up to kenneth branagh who was nominated for um
3: also hamlet
5: <laughs> no 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 not hamlet but also um henry the fifth yeah that too yeah so i'm very very excited about this cuz i think you know seeing joel cohen kind of break off from his brother, do his own thing. It's going to be so good. If I have to drive an hour and a half to go to a movie theater to see this, I'm going to be saying this.
3: You won't have to, it's going to be on, it's going to be on Apple TV plus.
5: Yep. Well then that makes me happy. I am so down for this.
3: All right. So then, uh, other than that, we're also going to get, uh, more reactions to the power of the dog, which I imagine the New York crowd is going to be very, very kind towards, uh, Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers will be the closing night film, uh, only the second time this film is shown since uh, Venice. And then beyond that, there are a couple of other movies playing throughout the festival that Dan and I especially have seen at various uh, points throughout the year. Um, I am so happy to report that I really dug uh, Nadav Lapid's uh, latest film, Ahed's Knee. Uh, Especially because I did not like synonyms at all, (laughs) so that made me extraordinarily happy. Uh, Dan, I know, was a big fan of bad luck banging or loony porn.
6: I was not. (laughs) Not a big fan. I respected it. I respected it a lot. I thought it was good. Not a huge fan. (laughs) I feel like I need to.
5: That sounds like something you wear disguised to go into see.
6: (laughs) It is very much and the type of film that would win the golden bear at Berlin. It is very much an art film and it's difficult and it, but it is funny. It's very funny.
3: Uh, Benedetta is going to be playing for the first time, uh, since can, so the Paul Verhoeven film uh, will definitely, I'm sure, kick up a lot of buzz in New York. Uh, we also have uh, Drive My Car, which some people got a chance to see during TIFF. Not everyone. It was geo-blocked in a lot of areas. Uh, so that's another can uh, holdover. Flea will be playing again at another film festival. I I am so incredibly happy that Neon is giving Flea this kind of a push to try and get people to see it as much as humanly possible. And it doesn't just end here. Um, It's obviously, I think, going to continue to play at uh, other smaller regional festivals in the lead up to its theatrical release. And I I just couldn't be happier that they're giving it this kind of a push.
6: It is literally playing every freaking festival.
3: (laughs) Yep. Uh, There's a Romanian film called Entregalde uh, that I want to just bring attention to here really quick. Uh, It's a very interesting film about a group of humanitarian workers who um, are on this uh, uh, road, like this open road in Romania, and they come across an elderly uh, villager and they're suspicious of him and he rides along with them and the movie is suspenseful and you don't really know like there's a bit of mistrust there and it's also darkly funny at the same time the movie plays out like in a series of like very long takes it's really really well done i highly recommend people check that one out um i did not see neptune frost at tiff did you see that one dan
6: no i have a bit of an allergy to saw williams unfortunately
3: (laughs) okay fair enough uh memoria Going to be playing at NIF. Uh, Dan, I know, was a big, big fan of TIFF. And um, I, I have been told by a couple of people that if you can see Memoria with a great sound yeah. system, you owe it to yourself to do so. Yep. See it in a theater. Yep. Uh, passing. Rebecca Hall's film. Uh, first time screening since Sundance. I've heard that
6: it's a new edit. Really? So that should also be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. Because if there was one thing that didn't work about that film, for me, it was the pacing. Same. Same, Dan.
3: I, I think that Ruth Nega is amazing Fantastic. in it. And I would love to see her return to the supporting actress uh, conversation this year. Beautifully shot in black and white, which seems to be a theme this year with movies in general. Uh, but uh, definitely one that I'll be very curious to hear uh, what the crowd in New York thinks of that one as well. Um, <laughs> you know... It worked with Ahed's knee for me and Nadav Lapid. Let's see if lightning strikes twice. I bought a ticket to see The Souvenir Part 2. Oh, God. <laughs> I was not a fan of The Souvenir. I still to this day don't really see what everyone saw in that movie, but I'm willing to give it a shot because the unanimous consensus on this seems to be that it's better than The Souvenir. So we'll see. <laughs> We will see. Uh, Tatane, obviously playing in New York. It's the U.S. premiere uh, for the film as well. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Dan, myself, Tom will be at the screening for that together. I can't wait to report back on how much they threw up during the movie.
5: glad I'm not going to see it.
3: (laughs) Velvet Underground. The Todd Haynes documentary. Uh, This is really exciting. Uh, It's shot by Ed Lockman, his longtime cinematographer. A documentary by Todd Haynes. I mean, like... Do we really need to know anything more than that? He
5: could win a Grammy. That's how uh, Martin Scorsese has his.
3: Oh. It's for a mm-hmm. documentary. That would be really cool.
5: About, uh, I think, the Rolling Stones. So, yeah.
3: And then uh, Vortex from Gaspar Noe. Yeah. 142 <laughs> minutes long, from what I understand. But unlike any of his other movies that he's done before, supposedly more accessible, quote unquote, whatever that means for really, Gaspard. Yeah, movies. for, for Gaspard, <laughs> a, that a
6: that's a thing.
3: And uh, if, if, I, if everything goes well, this will be where I see the worst person in the world. I'm very much looking forward to it. I cannot wait.
5: Trump's coming to the festival.
3: <laughs> wait, is that for real? Uh, well, no, the, the, the worst, worst person. Oh, God. OK, OK, I, OK, I see what you're saying. Oh, Amanda, you just, you just scared the crap out of me. All right. And then uh, beyond that, also outside of the main lineup, they also have um, movies like Belle, Come On, Come On, French Dispatch, uh, Lost Daughter, Red Rocket, Dune, like New York this year is packed. I know that a lot of people that I've spoken to are traveling to New York to see these bigger films, but I do highly encourage people to check out um, some of the films that we've mentioned here today, like Petit Maman or like Entralgade, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. There, there are some really, really great gems scattered throughout here to the point that, and I know I've said this before, I think in terms of overall lineups this year, I think New York probably has the best lineup of any film festival this year. Yeah. A lot of good movies. All right, so that will be taking place uh, from November twenty, uh, from November. Wow, September twenty fourth till October tenth. And now our final trailer for this week from Guillermo del Toro, the follow up to his Oscar winning film. This is Nightmare Alley, starring Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, and a few others. Coming out December seventeenth from Searchlight Pictures. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one.
4: Step
1: right up in the hole to mysteries of the universe. Is he man or beast? This creature has been examined by the foremost scientists and pronounced unequivocally a man. I am prepared to offer you folks one last chance to witness this supreme oddity. Where did it come from? It got by the same lust and threat that got us all walking on this earth, but gone wrong somehow in maternal womb.
5: Not fit for living. Is it a
3: beast? Or is it a man? <laughs>
1: Because tonight you will see him feed.
0: Come on in and find out. Is he man or beast?
3: That looks gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that could be our cinematography winner this year. I really do. Cinematography,
5: costumes, production design. Let's just start counting up the Emmys. Mm-hmm. I have the production to design come for me. I don't like films that look like
2: this.
3: <laughs> oh, you don't like these like overly digital like looks yeah, sort of thing?
2: I really, yeah. I, I really don't. Especially because I've been. I just started watching. I've For some reason, only got an hour in. I'm going to finish the second half maybe tonight of the. I know this isn't a remake and it's more of an adaptation of the novel, but um, the uh, 1947 version is really so far from what I've seen is really well done. And it's not super it's a really kind of slow building kind of down to earth sort of story about a guy kind of just, you know, working at a circus, losing his morals. Um, at this point in the film that I've seen, an hour in, the Kate Blanchett character has not arrived yet. So I am wondering in this new version how big her role actually is or if they're just really sort of hyping her up for the promotion.
3: It's part of the reason why I don't have her in my Best Actress uh, predictions. Yeah. Because I, I I too don't know even if they beef up the role, it just doesn't strike me as something that's going to make her enter the conversation.
2: As long as her and Rooney Mara have a couple scenes together, it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I just don't there's I don't know what the exact term for it is. They're trying to yeah the super digital st- uh, looking films, especially when they're kind of trying to make it look old fashioned. Those just really don't sit right with me.
3: Well, uh, the cinematographer that he works with here, uh, Dan Lawston. I mean, if you look at any of uh, Dan Lawson's like other work as well, not just Shape of Water, but also what he does on like the John Wick movies, for example, he really, really, I mean, like, I know everyone talks about Roger Deakins and the way that he shoots on digital, but Dan Lawson is able to come up with some very vivid, colorful images uh, from the way that he lights and shoots to the point that I, I do feel that he's slightly underappreciated but i can understand though that if you have an um if you have a uh, attachment to an older cinematic style that we still see in like a lot of independent films and uh films that are harkening back intentionally so to that style then i can see how this is like not for you especially because yeah. eve like when it comes to television like <laughs> i hate the look of network television yeah. so much yeah, way overly digitized, way too brightly lit.
5: You and the Television Academy also. <laughs> so, I, in a
3: similar way, like if I make it like that comparison, that makes it makes sense. I understand where you're coming from.
2: Yeah. Also, Bradley Cooper is no Tyrone Power. That's all. That
3: is. <laughs> you know, they, he doesn't say a single word in this teaser, and I'm, you know, I, I'm less. I don't know. I don't know what to make of him in terms of is is he in a uh, best actor position for this movie is this text and nothing else. Like, I don't know because the trailer didn't give us a lot to go off of in terms of Who's him.
5: narrating the trailer? Is it Willem, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. yeah, I think he might be the the play like supporting actor. Everybody seems to be wanting to give him an, wants to put him in the Oscar race recently. So I, I could see you know maybe there's a winking devil in this that could be in the supporting race.
2: I don't want to spoil anything, and again, I've only watched the first hour of the 47 version, and like I said, this is a adaptation of the novel rather than a remake of the original film. That character does have a kind of good, meaty scene to chew on. It is brief, and from the version I saw, he's not in the movie for that long.
3: Which is like why a lot of these supporting performances here uh, from Jenkins or from uh, David Treferrin, uh Ron Perlman, even Rooney Mara. I'm I, I just don't see this. This teaser did a couple of things for me. Obviously, it made me very excited for the technical elements. Um, I think it looks incredible and I'm excited to see the story. The acting was not something that this teaser highlighted. And I wonder if that's intentional or not.
2: I don't see this as a huge awards contender in general.
3: Oh, I see. I I, see now that I think you're wrong on.
5: I I might read the book before this comes out, but I I really appreciate that Guillermo is kind of sticking to what he likes to do. He hasn't decided to go off and make Mm. some important feeling. He's sticking with the monsters that he loves.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: I, I also appreciate, too, that obviously this being, um, as you've said, an older film that has been adapted already, um, there is an opportunity for Guillermo to pay homage towards classic cinema in a way that he also similarly did with uh, Shape of Water. Uh, and I think that that. Love for the cinematic language and the history of cinema uh, is something that even in some more of his more genre efforts, like *Crimson Peak* or something like *Pacific Rim*, you still get the sense of this is a guy who really, really loves all kinds of movies. Do I think that you know *Nightmare Alley* is going to, you know, obviously like *Shape of Water* had the Douglas Sirk element to it? You know, I. I I do think some of that's going to come across again here. And I think that that's something that's going to be a nice hook for um, older cinephile fans.
6: Yeah. I'm kind of with even that I don't like the look of the cinematography, but this production design is out of this world.
4: Oh, yes. This looks really like a... Uh, sorry for the expression, but, like, my alley (laughs) in terms of what I love in terms of production design with movies. And the only thing with this trailer is that it doesn't really give you a sense of what it's about. And, like, the tone of it would almost make it seem like we're going to see, like, a a werewolf movie or something. (laughs) It's I just don't know about that in terms of expectation of what the audience is going to think this movie is actually about. But... Just from delivering the tone and the overall atmosphere and look of the film, I think it's very effective.
3: I I like this trend, though, that trailers are doing these last couple of weeks with Spencer, uh, Don't Look Up, Power of the Dog. Now this it we're getting these teasers and we're not getting trailers that reveal the plots of the movie. I am I'm I'm actually quite enjoying that uh, element of it all. Yeah. I
5: I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know. And, and the fact that it's based on the book, I think people forget that the true grit, they remade that film. It wasn't a remake. It was based, the Coen brothers based it on the book. Mm -hmm. So there is something about, yes, maybe I will go watch a movie like Eve is, but, I also think, you know, maybe I'll just give the book a read and, and see what's going on there.
6: It's really interesting. I generally like the trailers that don't tell us everything about a movie. But with this one, I found myself if I didn't know the original property, I would be very confused as to what it was about. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's an important distinction to make.
3: <laughs> Considering also to, uh, you know, I hate to make this kind of a comparison, but we did talk about this earlier this year. Remember all those trailers for In the Heights and people wondering, okay, but what is this actually about? Yeah. And
6: that one did sell you on, like, it's a day in the life of what it's like in Washington Heights. It's literally the lyric.
3: (laughs) And this is going to be a uh, nightmare in an alley, you know? So there you go. (laughs) Uh, All right. Really, really cool. Very exciting stuff. Can't wait to see uh, the new Guillermo del Toro. I think uh, coming off of The Shape of Water, this is probably the most anticipated that anyone's ever been for one of his movies because of the expectations now being very, very high. But to counterpoint uh, what Eve said before, I think that this is still going to be
6: our top nomination leader this year. Oh, yeah. I think it's possible certainly, yeah. like, with all the text looking as good as they do in this, despite my dislike for this particular kind of digital sheen on the cinematography.
5: yeah, I think this could definitely be that. and i'd I'd also just um add, you know, he is the only one of, and they call themselves the Three Amigos, who has one best directing directing Oscar. I know it's it's a tragedy. He only has won once, but
3: yeah, the other two have won two. So I mean, you know, naturally he's got to win a second one.
5: <laughs> I, know, I know.
3: Oh my God! I just realized something. They, imagine if they do like they did with Scorsese, where uh, they brought out Francis, uh, Stephen, and um, uh, George, and they bring out Alfonso and Alejandro. <laughs> yes. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All right, so for the polls now, for last week, for the eyes of Tammy Faye being released, we asked everyone which is their favorite Jessica Chastain performance. She's been working uh, pretty steadily over the last decade, uh, delivering, you know, pretty solid performance after pretty solid performance. Eyes of Tammy Faye, some are calling her best right now. Dan Baer, uh, what would you say is your favorite Jessica Chastain performance?
6: Without having seen uh, Tammy Faye yet, I'm going to say Miss Sloan. Love her in that.
4: Good choice. Josh Parm? I will be conventional and say A Most Violent Year. How is that conventional? (laughs) I feel like that would rank pretty highly. Either that or Zero Dark Thirty. Well, Amanda,
5: what do you think? Zero Dark Thirty. I love that it's a woman in a role that's just completely focused on doing the job and only at the end she sheds that one tear of like relief Uh, Eve? I
2: haven't unfortunately seen A Most Violent Year, even though I'm very keen to see it given how you guys have been talking about it nor have I seen The Eyes of Tammy Faye so I'm going to go with the role that introduced her to me and I imagine much of the uh, cinematic going world and say in The Help even though I don't love that movie she's 100% like the highlight
3: (laughs) and then uh, to round things out here uh, and just add a little bit of uh, you know variety to the choices I'll give her a shout out for Molly's game which I very much enjoy her in yeah she's great in that so number 10 as voted on by the MVP film community is Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak oh nice glad they made it into the top 10 she is fun in that yes Number nine is a shocker. Get ready for it. It has a very, very passionate fan base behind it. The disappearance of
6: Eleanor Rigby. I she and James McAvoy are fantastic in that
3: that's why that's why i'm like surprised that it even placed in the 10 uh because it's worthy to be in there but mm-hmm. i just didn't know if enough people had seen it yeah it's yeah. kind
6: of a
4: forgotten movie man remember when they did that whole experiment of like there were two halves of mm-hmm. different oh yeah yeah that was mm-hmm.
6: yeah that was that the was first amazing. the first movie i went to see after moving to new york city was i saw the whole thing
3: <laughs> number eight is a most violent year
0: yeah well,
3: number seven, I take I, I I take great pain in saying this because I just I, I feel like there's something better that could have been here. Vote for the performance, not the movie, people. Number seven is Interstellar. Really?
4: Like, yeah. Oh, OK. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a huge Interstellar fan and yeah. I really like her in Interstellar, but I I don't think I would rank it. And like the highest parts of her filmography, even though I think she's good in that film.
6: Yeah, like she's good in it, but like not certainly not. It's not one of her more memorable performances, I would say.
5: I don't feel like she did anything in that film that somebody else could have done.
6: Exactly.
3: Number six is The Tree of Life.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Number five is Miss Sloane.
6: Yes, I'm happy that placed in the top five. <laughs>
3: Number four is The Eyes of Tammy Faye.
4: I mean, she's device. good in the movie, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Number three is The Help. Love it. Number two is Molly's Game. And number one is Zero Dark Dirty. Yep. She she is really great in that. All right, <sighs> All right. and then for this week's poll, we are asking everyone for the release of The Guilty, because you'll certainly get 90 minutes of him in that film for sure, uh, is what is your favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performance and if your answer is the one where he takes a shower, you are correct. All right. so <laughs> Eve, what is your favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performance?
2: I will say that the film Nightcrawler has been one of those titles on my watch list since it came out. And I still haven't seen it. So I would I have so negating the fact that I haven't seen that. I'm just going to go
5: early Gyllenhaal
2: and say Donnie Darko.
3: Ooh. Amanda.
2: It's mischievous.
5: <laughs> uh i think this film deserved so much more than it got I, I i still don't understand why it was completely ignored end of Watch.
6: oh yeah he he's really really good, in it. Really thought, good in yeah. That. yeah yeah
5: it, it's the, a great movie america is in this movie she's great in it anna kendrick's in this movie she's amazing
6: all right dan i this is hard he's great in the guilty um, And it's really hard for me to not say Brokeback Mountain, Yeah, <laughs> but I think he is really underrated in Prisoners.
3: I think he's very underrated in that, too, especially after the rewatch I just did of it. Mm-hmm. it you know what it is? It's those ticks he does with his eyes. That's mm-hmm. like, for me, the little thing about that character that I find to be like all him. That's clearly not in the script. That's all him just trying to bring something unique to that character. And I agree with you. I, I think it's one of his most underrated performances.
5: Hugh Jackman's great in that movie, too.
4: Oh, yeah. The whole cast is. Yeah. Josh Parm. Well, there are like obvious answers in Brokeback Mountain or even something like Zodiac. I think he's really good in. But if I'm going to shout out something a little bit more off the beaten path, I will say Enemy. Oh, that's a good yes. choice.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I will be the one to say Nightcrawler. Um, I think that that's a extremely, uh, unique performance and a uniquely written character as well. And probably the most terrifying I think he's ever been in a role. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta go with that one. Uh, but feel free everyone to head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com and cast a vote there for which is your favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performance. And be sure to check him out in the Guilty releasing this week on Netflix. And now we're going to answer questions from the fans. Let's see what the MVP film community had to write in for us this week.
6: Was a Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it. Whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing it together is a part of the All Points West podcast network.
3: Matthew Aaron Anderson. Oh, Josh, you're going to love this. With Kenneth Brana and Will Smith possibly winning Oscars this year. What is everyone's thoughts on the 1999 box office flop Wild Wild West?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Okay. All right. All right. Look, look, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here and say that this is like a good movie. I'm not going to try to convince anybody of that. I am just going to say that that is a movie that I saw it when I was nine years old, and for nine-year-old me, it basically had everything that I ever wanted to see in a movie, and I still have some fondness for it. I like the look of it. I think that the tone of it is okay. Like, I'm not going to say it's a great movie, because it's not, but I have fun with it, and I just, I like it for that.
2: I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh. I've never heard of this.
6: Oh, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> I love the steampunk vibe of the a lot of the look of it, but it's not a great movie.
4: <laughs> I'm not going to argue against that. Yeah. Like I'm not, but can I if it's on like television or like streaming on something and oh, I totally. put it on, can I have a good time with it? Yes, I still can.
3: There's one scene where and I, I'm, I'm drawing back on my nine-year-old memory here. But there's a scene where I think Will Smith and Kevin Klein have these things around their necks.
4: Uh, yeah, the magnets that draw the, the saw blades. Yes.
3: Yes. I That scene stood out to me. I, I still remember that, like, visually in my mind. And like I said, this is coming from someone who has not seen that movie since 1999. <laughs> I
5: watched I it like a week remember Kenneth Branagh <laughs> kind of was in that
4: movie. Oh, yep, he is the villain. He's the villain. He is, uh, Dr. Arliss Loveless. <laughs> everyone
5: makes a horrible movie, and most of us go on to forget it. Unless in some places they.
4: Something tells
3: me that we are not going to be allowed to forget this one the more we get into <laughs> award season this year. Uh, Scott Kernan asks With the first look of Paul Thomas Anderson's licorice pizza debuting only in theaters for an extended period of time, what is everyone's opinion on the idea of theater-exclusive trailers, and is
4: this an idea uh, that should be used more often? Uh, I think that appeals to a very small section of people. I- I'm sure it's good to generate buzz, and that always helps, but uh, I kind of feel like it's playing to an audience that would be anticipating that trailer anyway, so I don't know how much it really is going to do to like increase attention on the film.
3: I mean, not only that, too, but it's like, what is this, 1999, as we were just mentioning earlier, where people uh, bought tickets to see The Siege just so they could watch the trailer for Star Wars, (laughs) episode one of The Phantom Menace. Like, I I feel that, you know, if this is like a a way to increase like box office or something for certain movies by having it like tied to it, like, I just don't feel like that that works to your point, Josh, because it's just such a small group of people. Um, But. Because my, my thought process is, yeah, I want to see the trailer. But in the back of my mind, it's like, I know it will be online soon. I'm not like I'm not rushing out to see it, you know?
6: The thing is, is that the people who would pay... The people who want to see the trailer for this movie are the people who are going to theaters to see movies if it it's available to them anyway. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like... I don't begrudge the choice because that feels very true to Paul Thomas Anderson and his fan base. But at the same time, it's a little like... Okay. Like I I don't think it's that big of a deal. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a
5: little insensitive right now personally because mm. you know, there are people like me who live in a place where you can't go to the movie. So
6: <laughs> I also think that like there's it's gonna leak so fast.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's <laughs> definitely gonna happen. Uh this one comes from that CM guy, 1988 Uh before the end of the year is over, uh what is the most frustrating Movie experience that you have had this year so far. Um, festival films can be included, but basically, is there a movie that you watched this year that was a disappointing f- uh, frustration for you?
2: Going through my learning Black thoughts. Widow.
3: Yeah, that didn't. That wasn't disappointing for me. Um, that's a good question actually, because
6: oh, for me, Black Widow was very disappointing. That character and Scarlett Johansson deserved so much better than that bland
5: movie. I mean, I do like the idea of Florence Pugh taking yeah. over for her, and I, I love Julia. So. Yeah.
3: I, I, I do have, actually, now that I'm going through my own letterbox, it's like, wow, I really do have a couple actually. Um, Dear Evan Hansen, I think, is absolute trash. And so bad. We'll definitely talk about that later on the podcast. <laughs> uh, Don't Breathe 2 is probably the most frustrating one I could probably point to this entire year, mostly because I like the original a lot, I did not feel that this warranted a sequel. Um, And then, of course, when I saw the trailer, I think we all had the same level of apprehension. And all of that turned out to be true. And it did not justify its existence. It was the very definition of a cash grab and something that I did not sense that there was any real passion behind of why it needed to exist in the first place. So I would say Don't brief 2 is my answer.
5: Oh, and on that note, then coming to America 2 also, what the hell... Seriously, I enjoyed that. Eddie Murphy can't get a job. You got to redo
2: that. <laughs> my most frustrating experience was watching and absolutely screaming during the entire run of Clue from 1985, and my parents simply not caring. Oh, oh! I was I was so hyped, and I was enjoying myself so much, and I thought, well, they don't understand, so I'm gonna bring it to my friend's house, and we'll watch it. And then they also didn't get in on the screaming and the the fl- flames flames on the side of my face. <laughs> and I, I really was li- having a moment, like a spiritual experience watching that film. And I unfortunately didn't, <laughs> didn't quite get there with the people I was watching it with.
6: Oh, the other really frustrating movie for me is freaking
4: stowaway. Ooh, oh yeah. yeah.
6: So good until the last five minutes.
4: <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another one that was actually sort of frustrating for me was the movie Limbo that came out earlier this year. Same, Josh. Same. Oh, I really wanted to Good like that movie. That. Oh, I really wanted to like it. A lot of people do, but it oh, man, I just could not get on the wavelength of that film. And it's like it's not even that long. It's like 100 minutes, but it should have been 80 minutes it should have been very brief. And it felt like it took forever to get through.
3: Same. Uh, Juan Carlos Oyano out of the film festivals, which film still without a distributor could be a big contender uh, if they get acquired? Or do we think that they'll just be pushed off until next year?
6: The Survivor.
3: see. I think that's going to be picked up by HBO.
6: I I do, too. It makes so much sense. And when and when they do pick it up, I will be pouring one out for poor Ben Foster, who gives easily the best Male lead performance of the year so far, and he deserves that freaking Oscar nomination. He should have had at least two already for Hell or High Water and uh, Leave No Trace. And he is absolutely fantastic. The Survivor, it's Barry Levinson's new movie about, and it is literally the biggest piece of Academy Awards bait that you could possibly imagine. Partially shot in black and white, true story about a boxer who. Survived the Holocaust by literally fighting in boxing matches set up by a sadistic SS officer's entertainment for the military personnel. It's all the Academy's favorite things, and Ben Foster is so freaking good in it that, for me, he elevated the whole film. The film is not great. But it's good.
3: I, I I agree with literally every single thing that Dan just said there. And that's part of the reason why I'm struggling to see a distributor picking it up. And here's the thing. I'm at a point now where I'm like, you know what? <sighs> if a distributor does pick it up and releases it for Oscars, he's not going to get nominated. But if it does go to television, he at least stands the chance then to win an Emmy. And that's better than nothing. Mm. They
5: don't award TV movie actors anymore, not. It's I know, trio. but he,
3: but Amanda, he is that good in it that he's so good
5: well, he could get nominated, but it's really hard for anyone in TV movie to win. I mean, look at look at Hugh Jackman last year.
3: I know no, no I, I I understand completely. I get it. I'm just saying that when you see it, if you see it, like you'll understand and you you, regardless of stats, you should be banging the drum.
5: I mean, yeah. banging the drums one thing, but making the predictions another
3: so. Other than that, um, another film that I know that there's been a lot of considerable buzz about, um, and I know because I was part of that buzz, uh, was <laughs> Marcel Vichel with shoes on at, uh, oh Telluride, God. which I understand he's yeah. currently in negotiations, uh, right now at this time for a distributor. I don't know where that's going to land, but God, in terms of a movie that just played extraordinarily well, uh, for the audience, laughing, crying, and just really getting emotionally attached to this really unique character brought to life by Jenny Slate. I mean, I really hope for nothing but the best for this. I I don't even know what it would contend in because it's a live action environment and the character is animated. So I don't know if that falls under animation or
6: like what, what it would be. Matt, if avatar was live action, then I think this is too. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. I can't
2: believe this is a real film.
6: Yeah, me too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember when it was like an internet, that was a long time ago. Yeah. You think they would have done this sooner anyway?
3: (laughs) And then I have a question for everyone that I would like to end us with here today. Yeah, because nobody uh, I'm surprised that nobody asked this, maybe because they thought it was going to be one of our uh, talking points uh, on this week's show. But my question for all of you is, what do you think of Christopher Nolan's new home at Universal Pictures for his Robert uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer uh, atom bomb epic?
4: I mean, it seemed like of the places that could possibly get him that made the most mm-hmm. sense yeah. to me on paper. And I, I mean, like I get it. He was obviously very vocally upset about what, uh, Warner brothers did with HBO max. I still think he overreacted a bit, but you know, I
3: mean, I, if I was Warner brothers, I'd be pissed at him for yeah, the yeah. release of tenant. Yeah. I mean, I understand that tenant was a movie that like kind of like it did all all factors considered it did okay they they still lost money on it if they had not released it last year yeah of course it wouldn't have won like the oscar they could have held that movie honestly until this year and used it the way that like a quiet place 2 or nobody Mm -hmm. like they could have released it around that time and that could have been the movie too like like Black Widow, like that spring summer to lure people back to the theaters if they had just been freaking, if he had just been patient with it, you know?
6: Yeah. And I get that he was doing it with best intentions for the um, like the movie theaters, the exhibitors and stuff. But it was a foolish decision um, and one that was just not good for the public at that time i'm
3: also surprised by the decision uh because I, while i understand universal has the money and still is one of those quote unquote like older studios that's still around they they still have peacock sitting on the side there and i I, I, I imagine that his deal with them is like, I am not touching this. You will not force this upon me <laughs> like this is not happening.
5: Yeah, I think that's probably why he left is that he could put in a new contract saying you will not distribute my movie on uh, on a streaming service for X amount of either weeks or months
3: but even still though like the fact that it's there it, it does make me wonder okay maybe for his next film he'll get everything he wants and he won't have to deal with this but as the streaming services for these studios continue to grow and they st- and they uh continue to prioritize them and so on and so forth I, th- then what what is he gonna do he's gonna leave he's gonna leave Warner Brothers and he's gonna go to somewhere else at some point too you know
5: well I think I mean, the thing that know. he has to not realize is that regardless of whatever's going on, people are going to watch his movies on TV. They're going to watch him on iPads. People are going to watch him on their phone. He needs to understand that we don't live in the world anymore, where 99% of them are going to see it on the big screen.
3: It, it's- I, I, I just feel that like, I'm sure that people have had this conversation with him, but he just strikes me as someone that is so adamant that he will not let this impede his vision and for how he feels that his movies should be theatrically experienced. I mean, did you guys hear about like the details surrounding the deal? about how yeah. he has oh, yeah. a minimum required budget for the film. He needs complete, full control over the final edit. I think it's like the studio can't release a film three weeks after or before the release of his film either. That's insane. I mean, well- I, I'm kind of amazed that he has like this level of bargaining power and... Uh, you know his movies do make money
5: this reminds me of the deal that like quentin tarantino got after he obviously had to leave the Weinstein group which is
3: like the studio that i thought that nolan would end up with i really thought that he too would go to sony because of how well they treated uh once upon a time in hollywood but i guess it maybe it came down to universal probably had more money to fund his movies Mm. i'm guessing yeah, yeah. yeah,
5: his movies look like they cost a lot more than, no offense to Quentin Tarantino. But yeah, exactly. That VX is not
3: cheap. My theory is Nolan is going to, I can just see it now, he's giving an interview and he's like we wanted to try and capture the atom bomb in camera as much as possible. <laughs> so we detonated, an, we detonated an actual nuclear bomb. Can like you in imagine all the, the of that movie is a bomb? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, all of this aside, uh, it's, a, it's a new Christopher Nolan film. How, how could I not oh, yeah. be excited? I want to see it. That might yeah.
4: also star Killian Murphy. Like, come on. <laughs> like, yes, Ooh, I'm yeah. going to go see it.
3: It also sounds like um, a, a project that on paper... Um, is the first time since Dunkirk, and granted, I know we only had Tenet in between, but for most of Nolan's movies, I don't normally get this sense. Um, on paper, it looks like it could be a film that appeals to the Academy in
6: the above-the-line categories.
5: Yeah, yeah, he's, he's still looking for his Oscar.
6: Mm-hmm. Oh, he is very he's, clearly looking for his Oscar. He's hungry yeah. for it.
5: Dunkirk yeah. was a very clear, I want an Oscar mm-hmm. kind of film.
6: All
3: right. Well, that'll do it here for episode 261 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Amanda, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet.
5: At Miss Amanda Spears on Twitter. Probably tweeting about the Emmys later tonight. Eve O'Day.
2: My Twitter is at Eve on Film, which is also the name of a website I have where I just post a few of my personal reviews. Josh Parham.
4: You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Dan Baer.
6: You can find me continuing to review things from this year's Tiff on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film.
3: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon.